0: Give you guys a minute to get yourselves organized, get the papers out, get your pens, get settled. If you're looking for a place to turn your Bible, all the uh, passages I'm going to be using are going to be found in your notes. Uh, you can turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, if you'd like. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 9. If you don't have your Bible. Uh, again, the notes that I give you will have all the scriptural will also be on the overhead. If you're new to Garden Chapel, it's great to have you. We're so blessed to have you as, as a visitor. So, anyone else that needs a handout? You'll notice at the top of your handout it says, In or All In. And I'm going to spend the entirety of the time that I have trying to make it clear and have you answer that question as I did over the last few weeks studying for this message. I'm in, I'm saved, but am I living my life in a way that's all in? I want to open up with a story. And the story uh, takes place at the gym. And Well, before I even get into the story... I always remember my dad telling me this, ever since I was a little kid. He's like, marry up. And I don't think any dad or mom's told their kid to marry down, like just to marry the very first person you see. Uh, we say marry up. But what I'm going to tell my kids is marry up, but don't marry too far up, because that's what I did, and stuff like this happens. And I don't know if Missy's here. I think she stepped out, which is a shame because she hates this story. And I was going to tell her, I told it to the Good News Service a few weeks ago, and I told it to the early service today, and I'm telling it to you guys. I was going to promise her this was the last time I was going to tell it, because there's no one else to tell. (laughs) So uh, the story goes like this. We're at the gym, and we do our thing, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself, and I go to the men's locker room, and some guy follows me in there. She goes to the ladies' locker room. And it just so happens this guy's in the same section as me, and he looks at me, and he asks a question. He's like, hey, is, is, is that your wife you were lifting with? And I'm like, yeah. And I expected him to be like, a, I worked with her at Stripes, or what's her name? I may have gone to school with her. He didn't say anything like that. He just started on. He's like, man, she is beautiful. She is so good looking. And uh, I looked at him, and I'm like, I know where you're going with this. You're like, how did you get her? Because I'm looking at you, and I looked at her, and something's not matching up. And uh, I looked at him again, and this is a true story. And God gave me this. I just say, by the grace of God, by the grace God, gave me what I didn't deserve. And he said this. I wish he was here to bear. He's like, I need some of that. <laughs> so I'm like, I know where you get it. I know where you can get it. So that conversation lasts like 10 minutes. And of course, I get out, and I was kind of surprised because I just assumed Missy was having the same conversation in her locker room. Some guy comes up, man, your husband, he's fine, you know, <laughs> he's good looking. But I get out there, and she's been waiting like 10 minutes, and and uh, and I go out to her, and I, I'm like, does anyone ever comment that I'm good looking or fine? And she's like, no. And, <laughs> And she goes, Well, that's one like 80 year old lady said you were big or tall. And I said, well, That's good. And she's like, Why? And I'm like, No reason. <laughs> nothing. nothing, But I tell you that story because I'm going to tell you something that Missy's not good at. And she's a beautiful, she's a good wife, she's a great, but she's a terrible gardener. She just cannot garden. And for the last seven years, she started gardening. And uh, we started with like an eight by eight garden. And she started, she planted, she worked so hard, she tore up the grass, she she plowed the field, she fertilized, she did everything you're supposed to do for a garden. She planted the seed, she watered it, and then she waited and waited. And then half her garden came up. And I noticed the other half didn't. I'm like, where's the other half of your garden? And she said to me just nonchalantly, Must be bad seed. I'm like, all right, must be bad seed. Well the second year, same thing. She makes her garden bigger and she plants it and she fertilizes it and she works the works the ground and she does everything right she plants uh, her garden and again half of it comes out and she said what must be bad seed the other half didn't it. so third year does the same thing half the garden comes up and what would she say must be bad seed to which i began thinking i don't think it's the seed I don't think it's the seed. You're like, what did she do when you told her? Are you crazy? <laughs> I'm not telling her. I'm like, must be the seed. And the reason I'm telling you that is because, no joke, seven years later, planted to garden, half of it comes up. What do you think's going on? Must be the seed. <laughs> I'm like, must be the seed. And uh, I tell you that because God's desire for us and the whole point of this message is God wants you to grow more than anything else. That's God's desire. If you're in, if you're saved, you've trusted Jesus Christ, you recognize that you are you recognized you were a sinner, you could not pay your sin debt, and you called on the name of Christ to pay that sin debt, you're in. The question is, are you all in? Because God's desire is for you not to just be stagnant, not to grow. Someone's testimonies here is like in 1974 at camp, some counselor came to me, told me I was a sinner, I prayed the sinner's prayer, and that just stops. That's it. That's not God's desire for your life. He wants in 1974, I was saved. And then in 75, man, I grew. And then in 82, man, I had the opportunity to lead my neighbor to the Lord. And then in 86, I had this Bible study. And it was incredible. And in 94, let me tell you this miracle in 94, changed my life. That's what he wants. He wants us growing. I remember Andre, his last message, he's like, name one thing that's alive and not growing. And we're like, I don't know. he's like, because there is nothing. And there's no such thing as a Christian that's saying that shouldn't be growing. But what do we do when we don't grow? What what do we say? It must be the seed. Because it's certainly not me. It's not my fault. Man, if I had a different wife, then I'd grow. If I had a different job, then I'd grow. If the pastor would just preach better, then I'd grow. It must be the seed. It's not the seed. God doesn't plant bad seed. Are you in or are you all in? That's the question and that's the challenge. This message and preparing this message kicked my tail. And I'm like, there are so many areas of my life I'm not all in. I need to change some stuff. And I hope you leave here with that same thought. There's some areas in my life I'm not in. I need to change some stuff. 2 Chronicles 16.9, it's the very first verse on your sheet. It reads this way. I'll read it out loud, and I trust every person in here will be reading in their heart. Second Chronicles 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Your pens are out. Circle that word completely. I want my heart to be completely Christ's. And then he can use me in an awesome and powerful way. You say, how do I do that? Let's go to verse number 2. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart. Circle the word heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. If you're like John, how do I get all in? It starts with the heart. It's got to start with your heart. And you make a choice. It's not about me. It's going to be about Christ. And then you'll notice the third verse there. And it kind of looks out of place. Because I'm talking about growing in Christ. I talk about the heart and you're like, I can connect that. But then Galatians 6.2 talks about burdens. Let me read you the first, uh, or rather verse 2, Galatians 6.2. It's in your notes, verse 3. It says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. A quick Bible study, but before I get into the Bible study, uh, let's just have a word of prayer because no illustration Nothing I'm going to say is going to change anyone to go all in. That's a work of God, and we're just going to petition him to change our hearts. Let's pray. God, I first pray for myself. Just use my sinful mouth and my tainted self to just for your glory. I just offer this message as an offering to you for you to use how you please. I pray for each person in here that we go all in. I pray that we don't hold anything back. I pray that every soul in here that knows you as their Savior recognizes and they're not Jesus Christ. They're not perfect. There there is a spot that they can give over more to God. And I just pray that that's a reality in every heart here. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens... And therefore fulfill the law of Christ. That's a command. But the burden there is a heavy crushing load. In fact, if you were to study that word out, it's defined as a burden that one person cannot carry. It's two or more people carry. On Wednesday, I had an amazing experience. Went to go see a lady named Patty. And it's a lady at the Middletown home. And she's been there for as long as I've been ministering there for the last five or six years. And Patty's unique because she's in a wheelchair and she's got some bone disease where her neck is cranked over and her fingers are going every which direction but the right direction. Her arms are not straight. They're far from it. And her legs are just a wreck. Her body is wrecked. In addition to that, she had a stroke, though her mind is so sharp, body wrecked, mind sharp, She can't communicate her thoughts. So if I talk to her, she understands exactly what I'm saying. But to communicate to me is so hard for her. Her tongue just does not work. So she does her best to communicate. And every word that comes out of her mouth is just a sweet aroma to everyone around her. Constantly smiling. If she was in this room, every person in here would be blessed by her spirit, by her heart. I've probably preached a hundred messages at the home. And after every one, she's like, great job. Great, the Lord's going to use you. And I can promise you, out of a hundred messages, maybe like five of them were great, and three of them good, and the rest could use some improvement. And she just is incredibly encouraging. Well, every time I go, I seek her out, and I get on my knee, and, and she, of course, speaks truth into my life and encouragement into my life. But this one time, about three weeks ago, I get on my knee, and I notice she's crying, just tears flowing down her face. Never before, normally just heart just overflowing with joy and smiling. I'm like, Patty, what's wrong? Of course, it takes her a while to communicate, and she says, I'm scared. I'm like, you're scared? And she's like, I'm scared. Why are you scared? She's like, I got cancer. I'm like, you have cancer? And before I could even say anything, by God's grace, she just pulled me in, And just gave me a hug with her curved arms and her head over like this. She just pulled me in and embraced me and hugged me like I've never been embraced before. And I loved that lady like I love my own children at that point. And I'm like, man, we're going through this together. We are. You are not alone. She let me go. I got up. And I praised God for the seed sowers. Because I went back to the seed sowers. And Heidi and her partner, Uh, Lisa, I told them about it and they're like, we're going to visit her. They go and visit her and they hold her up. They bear her burden. And then I go and visit her on Wednesday. And when I go and see her on Wednesday just a few days ago, instead of her crying... Instead of her being scared, I walk into the area where she's at, and all the ladies are getting their fingernails painted. Not her, because her fingers are going all different kinds of directions, and there's just no way they could paint that. So she's hanging out in the corner. I go up, and as soon as she sees me, and as soon as we make eye contact, she's literally dancing in her chair. She's grinning ear to ear, and she motions me to come over. I get down, and instead of crying, she's like, I'm cancer-free. And she was just ecstatic. And, of course, I'm down again. And she did the exact same thing, grabbed my head and just pulled it into her chest and shoulder area. And we just joyfully were just praising God. And here's the neat thing. When I left, she called. I started to turn around. We prayed. We thanked God. I started turning. She said, come back. The best she could. And she's like, you tell Heidi and Lisa what happened. Because they helped carry the burden with her. And she was sharing that joy with her. There's some burdens that are so heavy and crushing, we cannot carry them on our own. You'd be a fool to. But then go to verse 5. Look at Galatians 6, 2, verse 5. I have dot, 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 and then I have verse 5. It's instructed then, it says, for each one will bear his own load. Now look up here. He just said, there's some burdens, or some loads that you cannot carry on your own. And then he goes through, he explains that. He says, but there is a load that you must carry yourself. And the word there is a knapsack. is something you put on your back that a soldier wears. That he has the responsibility to carry himself. And what I'm focusing in on is that kind of load. Every person in here has a choice. I cannot make it for you. Your dad cannot make it for you. Your your, your mom, your wife, you must make the choice and that choice is, that response is, are you all in? It's a personal choice, just like salvation. Are you all in? Are you not? It's a choice and you're the only one that can make it. You can be encouraged, you can be taught, but no one can make that choice but you, Galatians 6, five, for each one must bear his own load. But look at Matthew 11.30. That's the fourth verse in your shirt, sheet. Matthew 11.30 says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Not one person has ever regretted to go all in instead of just staying on the outside. I wrote this down. We as believers have a responsibility we're going to make a choice. And there are some things only you can make a choice on. I cannot make the choice for you. That's between you and God. The question this morning is so simple. Are you in or are you all in for Christ? This is important because it's not like if I go all in, am I you know, going to get, a bigger, uh, get to heaven faster or something? I want to explain this to you. This is sanctification. It's incredibly important. That we understand this. This is the cross. And this picture of a cross here is going to rec- uh, represent salvation. I know some of you can't see this. That's fine. We have a cross here. That's salvation. My prayer is that every person in here has chosen to trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Again, you see, you have a debt you cannot pay. And you place that burden on the only one that can pay it, the perfect God, the Christ God, Jesus Christ, who took the cross for our sins. You make that choice, it's sincere, it's from the heart, you're saved. I would say you're in, but it doesn't stop there. We have heaven here, that's our destination if you're in heaven. And when you, between here at salvation and heaven, there's this journey that's called life. And you take it here at salvation and you're working it and you're working and you're working and you're trusting in Christ. This is called sanctification. That's it. That's it for the big words that I'm probably not spelling correctly, but you get the point. This is what I'm talking about right here. I say, are you in or are you all in? I love what Oswald Chambers says. He says this in sanctification, this process is called life between salvation and salvation. In heaven, the time you die and meet Christ, what are you doing with this? That's the question. And Oswald Chambers says this. He says, sanctification is not something Jesus puts in me, but it's rather himself in me. And I can get that. Am I living every choice? Am I living every moment with Christ in me or am I not? That's my choice. When I wake up in the morning, when I go to work, am I I living that with Christ in me? Or am I driving the train or the truck or the car? I want to explain it to you this way. There's someone here that probably has a testimony like me. I was saved when I was younger. I was was so blessed to have a mom and dad that just poured their life into me and gave me the gospel. And at a young age, I recognized I was a sinner and needed Christ's work. And, 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 And I asked him into my heart, into my life. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's a, a picture completely filled with water, which is going to represent the Holy Spirit. And I was living that way. And then, like many people here, I uh, started kind of wandering away from God. And in my college years, I started making some bad choices. And some of you are making bad choices. And you know what that choice is. And it may be a sin. It may just not be what's best in your life. And you're like, well, it's not really affecting me. That's a lie from the pit. That's a lie from Satan himself. I have a rock here, and it's going to represent a bad choice. And every time I bring a bad choice or a sin into my life, there's a consequence. And that consequence is, is it pushes the Holy Spirit out. It doesn't mean I'm not saved, but it certainly affects my relationship with a perfect and holy God. And that choice now is just taken a part in my soul and my body. I'm clearly not in because there's sin. And then I continue to make bad choices. And I'm blind to it. And someone's like, what are you doing? And you're like, get away from me. So I make bad choice after bad choice. And again, I didn't lose my salvation. I can't undo what Christ did in me. But I'm a fool if I don't think it's affecting the Holy Spirit in me. So then you're left with a choice. And you hear a message like this. And you're like, am I going to... Start making the right choices. You're the only one that can handle this burden. I can encourage you. Your mom can encourage you. Your grandma, your neighbor. But the choice to make those, to take those choices out of your life, that's you and the power of God. That's the Holy Spirit and his call. Like, I'm going to make the choice to be all in instead of just in. And when I did this in the early service, I realized something. That's not your life. God doesn't just leave you half filled up with the Holy Spirit. Those that have been there and been like, man, I'm getting that sin out of my life. I'm getting that wrong. I'm going all in. The Holy Spirit comes in and will just fill you up to the point you're overflowing. And now you're that person that everyone's like, man, what's why? Is, why is the Lord using him in such a way? It's simple. He's in. He's all in. And God can use a heart like that. We just talked about that. Look at the very first verse we started. 2 Chronicles 69. The very first verse in your sheet. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and forth throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is what? What's that word? Someone tell me. Completely. Are you completely in? Or are you not? If you're here and you're like, man, I'm not getting used. All right, check your heart. Are you just in or are you all in? Because God wants to use you. That's not the question. That's, God wants to use you. What's the will for my life? Be used for God. How do I do that? Go all in. Leave the rest to Him. That's the question. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, the last verse in that first series, the fifth verse on your sheet. It says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. I want to be useful to the Master. I want to be prepared for every work. In short, I want to be all in. I heard this story. There was this lady, and this was when electricity was getting introduced, and towns were getting power lines into their neighborhoods, into their communities, and there was only one lady in this town that could afford the electricity run to her house. Just one. One house in the entirety of the town. So the electrician came and ran a line to her house, and she had electricity in her house. Not just in her house. He, he put in lights in every room. and He put in machines that are running electricity, and the whole town was so excited. They gathered around her house. She, She was a mean lady and she didn't invite them in, but they're gathered around the house. And for the first time ever, they're gonna see a light switch come on. They're gonna see electricity in use. And they anticipately and they excitedly wait that first night, and nothing happens. No lights come on, the meter doesn't spin. It's just a dark house, just like always before. So they leave and they come back the next day and The next night, and they wait, and again, nothing. The third night, nothing. The fourth night, nothing. Three months goes by, and finally one little boy comes up and knocks on the door. And he's like, why aren't you using your electricity? And the lady looks at him, just like, I'm not going to turn on the switch. Not willing to turn on the switch. And God's looking at someone here that's been saved, that's trusted in Christ, that's not being used, that's holding back, that's still holding on to something. And he's like, why won't you get plugged in? Turn on the switch. What's your response going to be? There's nothing I could think on that that lady could. She had plenty of resources. She just chose not to turn it on. And for the person here, turn on the switch. Get used. Look back and see all the things that God used your life in, in incredible ways. If you're not growing, it's not the seed. Get plugged in to the Holy Spirit that's in you. Turn it on. Get plugged in. Do what you need to do so that you can have the power of Christ in you. I want to define this. What does it mean to be all in? And in the center of your page, you'll see I have a definition there. What does it mean to be all in? It's allowing God to supernaturally, and you can write the word transform, you from the inside out so that you become a passionate follower of Christ. Let me say that again. What does it mean to be all in? And this is just my definition. You could probably come up with a better one. But for the purposes of this message, it's allowing God to supernaturally transform you from the inside out so that you become a passionate follower of Christ. See, other biblical examples of it. The Bible's filled with examples of guys that chose to go all in. I think of Moses, as he's walking around the desert and he's just kicking up sand, looks back and nothing's happening. He's not being used. And then he has the burning bush experience. He goes all in and then we read about Moses' life and we're just in awe of what a humble leader and all the things he accomplished in God's power. Like What changed? He went all in. He chose to go all in. The disciples will look at examples of them. And this is so encouraging to me, and you'll see this in the next sections of your notes. All in does not mean, and you can fill these in, all in does not mean you are perfect. The disciples were far from perfect. I think of Peter. And when he was speaking to Jesus and, Jesus is like, I'm going to the cross. And Peter's like, no, don't go to the cross. And what's Christ say to Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. It doesn't mean you're perfect. The disciples were far from perfect. The second, all in does not mean you never mess up. The disciples messed up a lot. On Friday, I had the privilege to go down to Atlanta for a day and It's the first time I've done anything like this. Uh, Woke up at 4 in the morning, and if you're like me, uh, if you got the alarm set at a time you're not used to, I didn't sleep a a minute because I'm anticipating that alarm going off, and I didn't want to miss my flight. I get to the airport. I fly down to Atlanta. It's just a busy, busy day. My flight back home's at 10, and I know I'm going to get into Philly at midnight and need to drive home. And for some reason, they load me on the plane first. I'm like one of the first 10 people on this huge plane. And I get in first, and I get in my seat, 30A, and I'm on the window, and I just kind of shoehorn myself in there. And I start praying like I've never prayed before. I'm like, God, give me a 97-pound just mute man that cannot speak. I don't know how many mute 97-pound men there are, but put one beside me because I just want to rest. I want to try and sleep so I can drive home. And uh, as the people start filing in, I start picking who I want. And I'm just petitioning God, let it be him, let it be him. And he walks by. And I'm like, I'll even take him. And then let it be him. He's sweating a lot, but I'll take that because <laughs> he looks mean. And I want someone mean that just is not but not want to talk to me. And he walks by. And then, honest to goodness... This guy walks in that looks like he's a linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's about 6'5, his shoulders are as wide as a bus. He comes in and I'm like, God, I will take anyone on this plane but him. And he's walking and I'm 38. He walks, walks by me and He keeps going, and he just keeps going. I don't even look back, and I'm just praising God. I was, like, charismatic. I'm, like, hallelujah. And I'm just, with every energy, I'm, like, God, you are so real. You're so real. Thank you. And then five minutes goes by, literally five minutes, and this guy starts coming back. And then he's looking at his ticket, and he's, like, 30 B. And I'm, like, you are a mean God. You are. You are. And he comes in and then fine I I kid you not, this is where my heart was. None I'm not exact. I'm like, help him, just help him to be tired and not talk to me. He comes in and we like meld into one person and our shoulders are touching and and, and he's there and he looks at me and he's got this big smile. And he's like, How are you? And I'm like, fine, and, and God's like, ask him how he's doing. I'm like, no, I don't care. I don't want to ask him. He's like, ask him, And I'm like, I'm not asking him, And I'm like, how are you? He's like, I'm great. I'm doing great. And then, and then it's like, why are you doing so great? So I'm like, why are you doing so great? And he told me what happened through the week and had something really special happen that day. And then, of course, God opens up this Grand Canyon-sized hole to talk about God and a personal relationship with God. And I'm like, I'm not going through it. And God told me this. He's like, if you don't go through that, I'm just going to smite you out. I'm just going to take you out, right there. And I'm like, oh, man, I better call Ron Walker and see if he's willing to preach the 1030 service. Cause, but I, I don't. I, I say, you know, I, I go through the hole and we talk about a relationship with Jesus and there's the fastest two hours of my life and we switch cards and, and who knows what the Lord's going to do with that. But here's the point. I'm so encouraged because to go all in, I don't have to be perfect. I can have a lousy heart and a lousy attitude. I can be all messed up and God's still going to use me. That's very encouraging to someone like me. Here's the third one. All in does not mean you become a full-time missionary. That's not it. Some of you have bigger mission fields that I have as a pastor in your workplace. So you can write that in real quick. All in does not mean Quit your job and become a full-time missionary. And here's the fourth one. All-in does not mean say the word Jesus in every sentence. I'll give you a second to write that in, then I'll explain what I mean. All-in does not mean saying the word Jesus in every sentence. I heard a story, and this was just this week, from a pastor. John Ortberg is his name, and he pastors a church of about 10,000 and he said he's, te- he's taught thousands, if not tens of thousands. He's an older man, tens of thousands of messages on living the Christian life. But he said, not, no message has touched his heart than this. And he said, when he was a boy, he and his father and his father's friend uh, went fishing. And they stopped at a gas station first. And his dad's fueling up the truck. And he and the father's friend go to the bathroom. And, Dad goes to get worms. And as he's in the bathroom with the father's friend, he noticed the father's friend starts just picking up trash on the floor. There's paper towels just like any gas station in America. It's torn up. And he starts picking up. He's like, he's even going into the stalls and with the paper towel cleaning, picking up the toilet paper in the stalls. He's like, what are you doing? But he doesn't ask. He's just a boy. And then he sees his father's friend start pulling. T- he starts wiping the counter down. He's like, that's it. They leave the bathroom, and he says, what are you? Are you now the janitor at this gas station we've never been to before? And this is what he said to him, and he'll never forget it. And he said, there's never been a lesson like this in his life, ever. And the the father friend just said, hey, Jesus cleaned my life up, and I'm going to spend every moment of my life cleaning up the areas God gives me around him. If it's a person, he'll try and clean that person's life up. If it's a bathroom and a gas station that's torn up, he's going to clean that up. If it's in his workforce, he's going to try and clean that up. How? Not by saying Jesus in every word. More is taught than caught. We've heard that a thousand times. How true that is. What a testimony to us. Are we living our lives as though we've been cleaned up for Jesus and we're like, every moment I can, I want to clean up the world around me because I've been cleaned up. How many of you, if you go into work on Monday and are like, I'm going to clean up my workplace, that one room, that bathroom, the sink, the microwave, how many people are going to be like, why are you doing that? You're not the janitor, you're the accountant. I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Someone came to me after I heard this, just God's timing and and they said to me, said, I'm not allowed to mention Jesus at work. And I told them flat out, good. Because a lot of times when we mention Jesus, our actions don't match, and that just does more harm than good. I can't, good. Then have them ask you about Jesus through your actions. That's all in. That's all in. So I put that, that's why I put this one here. All in does not mean, say the word Jesus in every sentence. All in does mean, if you could write this down, all in does mean, Jesus in your marriage. These are just things that God hammered me with. You're like, well, what does a life of all in mean? Here's just a, a short list, not a, a comprehensive list, but just a short... Is, is, is Jesus in your marriage? Is Jesus all in when it comes to your marriage relationship? Is Jesus all in in your priorities? Is Jesus... Jesus is in your dreams or goals. When I was in Atlanta, for the first time in my life, I ate at a Chick-fil-A restaurant. My dad was with me. He took me in. He says, do you know the story of Chick-fil-A? I'm like, yeah, I heard about it. Some Christian guy started it. He's like, man, it's so much more than that. That guy's goal, the Chick-fil-A starter goal, was I don't need to have the biggest restaurant or the most restaurants or the best chicken or the the, the uh, he prides himself on customer service. He's like, I want God to bless this restaurant so that I can bless God back with His blessings He gave me. That's his goal. He doesn't care. He's got a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand. He's like, how can if God's gonna bless this? My ultimate goal is I'm going to bless God back with the blessings he's given me. What are your dreams and goals? I can't wait to get to retirement. Is that all you think about is retirement or your bank account or getting a boat or a new car or a bigger house? That's not all in. Your dreams and goals include Christ in you. All in does mean Jesus in your work ethic. That's four. And then five, all in does mean Jesus in the way You're raising your family. The way you're raising your family. I want to close with the passage in Mark. And again, so encouraging to me. It's, It's at the bottom of your notes. And I just want to, with the time restraint I have, I want to paraphrase it. But you'll notice in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, that first word there is very intentional. It's the word immediately. In Mark chapter 6, verse 45, it says immediately. Well, that tells us something happened beforehand. Well, what happened beforehand? It's the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus took these five loaves and these two fish, and He fed somewhere between 5,000 and 30,000. And when I read this story, I had this thought. I've never had this thought, never heard someone teach it. But I thought to myself, When the disciples were walking around that crowd asking for food, how many people had like a bologna sandwich in their pocket? How many people, when the disciples came and said, Jesus wants to take this offering and bless the people with, how many people withheld back? They're like, well, this is my lunch. I don't want to share it. But then one boy gives five loaves and two fish. And what's Jesus do with that? He takes that five loaves and two fish and he feeds 35,000 men. The scholars think about 30,000 people there. Now here's my point. What about that person in the crowd that had the bologna sandwich? He'll still have his bologna sandwich, but he missed the blessing of the multiplying of the gift. How many of us are guarding our gift, our little bologna sandwich, and Jesus is like, come, give it to me. And we're like, no, that's mine. I don't want to give that to you. i got that tucked away in my pocket. And we're missing the blessing. The most joyful person out of that crowd of 30,000 is a little boy that saw Jesus take his gift and take five loaves and two fish and multiply so that there's 12 baskets left over after feeding probably 30,000 people. The rest of the crowd missed that blessing. Don't withhold from God. Don't do it. That's not an all in life. That's a life where you're just missing it. So that just happened, and Scripture says immediately Jesus sends the disciples off on the boat, and I'll close with this just your attention for two more minutes. He sends them off on the boat. For some reason, he decides to stay back. He stays back. The disciples go. The disciples are in the boat, they're rowing, and a storm comes. A storm comes and the disciples are scared. It says Jesus sees them, supernaturally sees them, and He he comes and the Bible says He walked on water. The disciples see Jesus. They should have been praying, God help us, God save us, God show up, Christ show up now. But when they they see Him, it says they were fearful. Instead of praising Him and saying, thank you for coming, they were fearful. And Jesus says then, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then Jesus got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. And then look at verse 52. I have it highlighted for you. It says, For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This was about five hours. The the Bible gives us a time frame in here. About five hours when Jesus just fed 30,000 people with five loads. And the disciples totally missed it. In fact, God makes it. He's like, their hearts were hardened. They were blind. But check this out. What would have you or I did? I would have turned that boat around, and I would have picked 12 new disciples. I would have. I have been like, I'm through with them. I've taught them. I just did this huge miracle, and they missed it. They're done. He didn't do that. Someone else here would have been like, I, wanted to turn, I would have just turned the boat over and started afresh. But what's the scripture say? The scripture tells us this. And this is encouraging. Just little verse 53 in Mark chapter 6. It says, When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gethsemane and anchored to the shore. That is incredibly encouraging to me. Jesus didn't give up. And then what happens? Read the rest. He continues ministering with these hard-hearted disciples. And then they go all in. And God uses them in incredible wells. You see Peter's life turn around. You see John's life turn around. Mark's you just see the disciples used from a hard-hearted to all-in. And God didn't turn the boat around on you. God didn't turn the boat over on you. God's like, go all in. And we can do some amazing things. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for the opportunity just to teach Your Word. And Your Bible is so very clear that Your Word does not return void. I pray for the person here that knows they need to go all in, and they haven't. But even before I get there, I pray for the person here that's not in. They haven't trusted Christ. They haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone. I pray that that person right now trusts in You pray that not just one person walks out of this room without knowing for sure, for sure, that they've trusted in God. But I pray right now, in the totality of the messages, for the person that knows that they're in, they, they've trusted Jesus Christ, they know they're a sinner, and they, and they know they need Christ's work on the cross. And I just pray for that person that knows they've got sin in their life knows that they're holding back the bologna sandwich, the giftings you've given them, and they, they haven't turned on the switch to the Holy Spirit in them. They're just holding back for whatever reason. I pray they make the choice to go all in right now. And I just pray the Holy Spirit doesn't allow them to get out of that seat until they do. And I just pray that they are touched by your power, not just today, not just as they leave here, but till eternity, till they meet you face to face in heaven.